Because sexuality is weaving. Whether people like to believe it or not, when you go inside somebody, if a man penetrates a woman and she lets him in and she opens her heart and they're having a weave of sexual exchange, a lot more is going on than our culture really knows how to recognize and honor. The auric fields, the, the energetic alignments, the, the exchanges between the chakra energy systems are so significant that people don't really know how to honor that. And, and because of that, that will bring up deep lower chakra wounding and, and stuff in there. And even like generational old perpetrator mentalities in men and, and women who have had to be like sexual slaves in past lives potentially or generation. Like we're talking about some deep shit that gets brought up for people that, that like if you're not like putting some light on that and breathing into and digesting that, you're basically recycling toxic patterns potentially versus using that as a, a resource to really grow and evolve and increase your consciousness, capacity, healing, love, and even ability to be a force of like service and healing, which ultimately I think we all are. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Going Out Looking In, the podcast about the big questions of life, personal growth and spirituality. My name is Maxi, I'm your host and today we're taking a deep dive into the world of relationships. I know this is a favorite topic of yours, the audience, as well as myself, and therefore I couldn't be happier to introduce today's guest, Shams Hartwell. Shams is an absolute expert in the fields of relationships. He's the author of Empowered Loving, a guide to learning and growing through relationships. He is a licensed acupuncturist, a certified coach, a Qigong teacher, a men's work facilitator, and so much more. Shams and I connected at Sacred Sons Convergence 8, where he was giving several workshops around the topic of relationships, and I was just fascinated by this guy's wisdom that he so effortlessly delivered, especially in the Q&A situation. So there was free speech and talks that he gave, but then there was the work with one-on-one -on -one with people, and that's really where I was picking up on Shem's 25 years of experience within those fields. So to sit down with him on the podcast is as always just such an honor because I soaked up so much wisdom from him and I'm promising you no matter what kind of relationship status you're in, also doesn't matter if you're more identifying with the feminine energy or the masculine energy, if you're in an open or monogamous or polyamorous relationship, this episode will have nuggets of wisdom for you. I promise you that. I already really listened to it multiple times and I still sort of write down things and oh my God. So intimacy, sexuality, alchemy, relationships, the different dynamics of them, what kind of work we can do on an individual level, what kind of work we can do in a relationship with our partner, co-regulating in relationships, dancing 
with different energies, opening up chakras, the heart opening, oof, so much, so much that we discussed. So I will keep this short and sweet. I'll bring you this episode with much curiosity about what you think about it. So let me know. And with that being said, much love from my heart to yours and this episode with Shem's Hartwell. It's a, it's, a, it's a pleasure, really it is. So I participated um, at Sacred Sun's Convergence 8. That's how I was introduced to your work by your presentation, by your workshop around relationships and relating and love. And I was fascinated by the by the ease and the flow in which you delivered your work. And that is with some stuff that you had prepared, you know, that you, know, you knew what you were going to talk about. But it especially, for me, got very interesting and inspiring when seeing you work with people mm. and them bringing their story and their, their questions and stuff. And to see you in flow with that you know that's where for me the rubber hits the road you know and and i really see wow mm -hmm. um and you just you know effortlessly you know you pull from that experience you know and all of your 20 years of working within that industry or even longer you know you just like you pull it out and you present it and you offer it and then to see that to come to fruition you know in co-creation with the other party that was a beautiful thing to witness so mm. um that's yeah that's that's why i invited you bro <laughs> because i find it inspiring thank you maxi i appreciate that <clears throat> reflection and, and uh, it's an honor to be here with you i really i don't think if your guests know how you start it for you and i to drop in and have a prayer and take some breaths i really like the the engagement of how we've come together right now too and mm. and uh and in some ways, that reflects what you what you're just naming that you witnessed in me. You know, is is I really value our ability to be connected to spirit and listen and meet what's in front of us and and be able to have that responsiveness of listening, following guidance, being outside of ego, being outside of mind, but trusting a knowing sense in us. And so you you just opened it up with that a little bit. It's like even even those talks, I don't really come prepared. I come with some intentionality, um, and I do my best to to hopefully have enough experience and wisdom and, mm -hmm. and intention to bring something. But the goal to me is, especially in, in our collective group work, is how do we ride what's there? How do we, how do we meet and work with and dance with and, and allow something greater than us to work through all of us to have something be a collective healing, to have something be a, a mutually beneficial experience that kind of you know, it is a collective uprising. Like, I feel like that's where we're going as humanity is that in group spaces, something begins to move through us and healings happen, but they happen not just for one or two people. They happen in the group field. 
They happen in the shared space where openings happen, things fall away, things clear, new movements happen that really generate you know, healing and, and experiences and, and like exponential growth, hopefully, amongst the collective. And that's what really lights me up about particularly the work with Sacred Sons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can tell. You're lighting up. It's beautiful to see. It's beautiful to, to witness. And um, given, given what you just shared and, and also how I opened up um, talking about your experience, I would be, I, th- I feel like this would be a beautiful way to start is, can you enlighten us and, and just shine a light on, on the things that made you, in, that made you and, and contributed to the man that you are today um, of, and, 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 and basically take into account the things that we cannot read on your resume, you know? Mm. So what happened between the lines that made you become mm. the man that you are today? You know, I just did my ancestry DNA. I, I did I did the best to see if I could get my father to do it. And he wasn't willing because he just doesn't trust that system. So I did it. And in, mm. we're speaking in you're in Europe, right? So both my parents are born in Germany. Both my parents have a lot of trauma in their systems. My father oh. lost his parents at the age of one in Germany during the war. And um, so then he, you know, lived basically kind of as an orphan for seven or so years before his mother's sister found out he was alive and sent someone to get him and bring him to New York. So that's how my father got here. My mom lost her, my, my grandmother lost her parents when the Russians invaded through Poland into Germany. Um, they took my grandmother, uh, my great grandmother, my, gran- my grandmother's mother who was a doctor and then my grandfather, we don't know whatever happened to him. So my grandmother lived barn to barn through Germany and then had my mother and then met a naval officer from the U.S. and then moved to Hawaii, actually, and raised my mom there. So um, when I say like where I come from, in some ways, the beginning of my journey is suffering, actually, and, and trauma and the nervous system, like a lot of us. And then when I was six years old, my mom left my father. And I lived alone with my father and my brother and my mom went and my mom started a new life. And my father's traumas were very thick in my childhood and, and they had a lot of impact on me of learning disabilities, um, a lot of overwhelm emotionally, a lot of feeling alone, a lot of being alone. My father would work, I'd come home from school and I'd be alone with the TV in front of me or just to get creative and ride my bike all over the town and get in all kinds of trouble and things like that. But at a core level, I was really suffering. Like I, I, I was like longing for my mom, I'd go visit her. I'd overeat like candy and sugar because my dad was diabetic and he wouldn't let me have sugar. So I'd, I'd eat till I was sick with my mom and grandmother, which to me was a sign now in hindsight of like how emotionally deficient I felt from my experience with my father. And, uh, and I danced between my mother and father in, in visits and all that, but at a certain point, I had my, my arm shatter from throwing a Nerf football, which is a soft football. I had all these bone cysts from malnutrition, from probably eating microwave food and, and just living off what my dad produced food-wise, which was you know, not very quality. It was like mainstream food bought in the normal supermarket and usually microwave cooked. At that point, um, my mom was just like, I can't have that. My, when the doctor said he's malnourished, I ended up living with my mom and stepdad. And, and that, that began kind of a blossoming and healing for me because all of a sudden I had enough food, I had more nourishment, I had a little more abundance. And, and um, my father gave me a lot of gifts in the sense of like nature and outdoors. He would lead bike trips all through the wilderness and very athletic and a lot of wilderness, but on the emotional side and on the nourishment home side, it was very deficient. 
So I say all that because that was very formative for me as I went through school and went to high school. I almost went to the Olympics playing water polo. I was a real significant athlete, but then I had another right shoulder injury right in my senior year that like changed my trajectory of like going down quite a serious path with that. And, um, but also turned my trajectory towards inner work, which I appreciate the name of this podcast is like going out, but coming back in, right? The inner journey began more thoroughly for me of, of reflection and what's going on for me and who am I as a young teenager coming into manhood without any initiations. And I had a lot of attraction to older people. I was a lifeguard and a swim instructor in high school and all that. And I met older people that were in college already who kind of took me under their wing and began for me a little bit of these little mentorships, these like healthy relationships of people that were older than me that saw something, resonated in something in me and showed up for where I needed more support, where I needed some eldership, where I needed um, healthy role models, healthy movements to get me out of kind of the insanity matrix that is the US in so many ways, especially um, where I lived in the Bay Area near San Francisco. and. Uh, that initiated a lot of movement for me to the point when I went to college, I, I had some, I just continually had some older folks that I was drawn to, magnetized to, that helped me grow kind of outside of my peer group in some ways. I didn't just want to like smoke pot and drink and party. I wanted to do Tai Chi. I wanted to do Qigong. I wanted to do yoga. So like I was really immersed and a lot of exciting things. And at the whole time I was a surfer, I was like chasing waves and really passionate about being in the ocean. And then I became a vegetarian. And so there was all these little kinks that happened, or I should say these little alignments and connections that began a journey for me of, you know, being a seeker, we could say, right? Or being drawn and interested in things that are kind of on the fringe of society and culture. Like I just didn't resonate with mainstream culture. I didn't like the way that people hung out and, and how men were together, particularly I didn't like how mm. men like to rip on each other and, and like talk sports, but then go into tribal mentalities and have this like aggressive energy where they would fight over their team losing or, or just the, the common thing of like, I love you, but I'm going to just like totally rip on you and, and judge you and have all the sarcastic remarks. And I just like, I don't play that game. I didn't have any draw to it. So I was attracted to women or more mature men in some ways who are operating differently. And that led me to doing men's work. That led me to having some mentors, led me to go into acupuncture school and becoming a Chinese medicine practitioner. And all the things that came with that was like swimming in kind of the more spiritual slash like alternative world uh, that California has to offer in a lot of ways, you know, the, the fringe movements. And, and I'd say those all were very, very significant for me. And then when I got into deep relationship. You know, I would watch all my dad's behaviors arise in me. I would watch myself shut down. I'd watch like I'm I could feel myself be the angry man my father was or is. Yeah. Like I'd feel myself have these like, I don't want to be like that. But then it would surge up in me and I would like shut down or close off or be so raged that my body be shaking. And I was like, whoa, what is this? Oh, this is so much of the emotional energy that my system has absorbed, has taken on from living with my father, from living with the things my mother hasn't expressed, from living in our culture. So I sought out, you know, teachers and mentors in a lot of different ways and started to realize I've got some deep work to do, you know? And that began this journey of me working with Gay and Katie Hendricks and doing this like three-year apprenticeship journey with them and, and having tons of resistance 
having lots of avoidance behaviors, having like lots of wanting to check out, like I don't really want to be here. I'd be in a room with a hundred people in this really intensive workshop. I'm going to feel all these alarms in me of like, I just want to go surfing. I just want to get out of here. I just want to go eat. I just want to do these things to check out and avoid all of this discomfort that would show up in the collective environment of healing, of uprising energy, of deep work. And, and like, you know, I'm in my early 20s and I'm just cooking with all this, the blocked energy and stuff in my system. And one other thing I'll share is all during that time, I was very devoted to Qigong and martial arts, which was moving a lot of energy for me, starting to kind of clear. I used to stand an hour a day and have all this anger and stuff come up. And so that was foundational. But then there was this whole other level of being in group dynamics and workshop environments where like I would get reflections and stuff would be pointed to me and I'd have to look at my behaviors and stuff in ways that were very confronting and would, I'd have all these defense mechanisms and that process of that journey is hard to replicate and was so profound for me because I don't know how else I would have been willing to really turn and look at some of my shadow behaviors, some of um, how to have healthy ways to move some of the um, deep pain, emotional energy, fear that was in my system that was like below the waterline of my awareness. It wouldn't be there when I was having a good day. It'd be there when I was with a partner and deep relationship and, and she would like say something that touched a certain button or she would pull away or we'd be in conflict about money or something. And then there'd be this surge of stuff in my system that would bubble up. And it was that work that really started to have some big traction for me. Hence, fast forward, it's why I do what I do now, right? That in that realm, the amount of healing, shedding, transforming, rewiring my nervous system, that journey had me go, well, relationship is the front line of evolution without a doubt. There's no way I could sit in a cave and do that work. There's no way I could play my way through that work and travel over the world and be a musician and play music and go from like cool festival to festival. It wouldn't happen. You know, it had to happen kind of in these immersive experiences for me where like the, the fire was hot, you know. Mm. Beautiful. I have a big question coming up. I was like, that's like I... I wished it for myself in some parts, and I wished it for many people I know. Um, that curiosity and that openness, especially towards the, you basically like this. You, you pointed out to to roads. You know, you could go the conventional way of you know p potentially doing things that people do when they're 15 or 17 or 18, and you know within a social construct. And he could flow down that river easily, you know, it would, for us, it's, you know, and I, and I know myself, you know, that going down that route is, is easy and sometimes feels more comfortable. But from what I'm hearing you say is that you consciously took a different route. Um, I'm not saying always, but, you know, at mm -hmm. major turning points, you said, I'm interested in Qigong, for example, or Tai Chi. Mm. Um, and for a young men i feel like that this is a this is this is a big this is a big decision you know and i and i see myself in some parts of that but where i'm getting at is what was it where was that coming from in in the work that you've been doing and reflecting back on it where did that openness and that curiosity for those for those 
alternative ways of looking at yourself and being in the world? Where, where did that come from? I think it was a mixture of, of discomfort and feeling suffering and being unhappy and feeling like, where's my place? Like, I don't feel drawn to just like um, play football and get drunk or who knows, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not just giving one example because I'm not saying that's bad or anything. I'm just saying that mm -hmm. I didn't have a gravitational pull to sometimes the things that were going on, just going to a party and getting wasted. Like I watched friends die um, because they drank and then drove home and got killed on their way home or had an accident and almost killed somebody else too. So a mixture of, I think the like the suffering and kind of like this hunger, this like longing for something that had more meaning that was in my system that and then there'd be these certain things that, that were attractive in that way. Like there was a guidance system or something of like that person. And then that person would model and, and, and live in a way that was like, I like that. You know, we call that sometimes friendly cannibalism. You know, it's like there's things that we were drawn to, you know, and social media has a lot of this, like it has a lot of fake of it too, where people present a life that maybe they don't fully live, but they can make it look like they're living a certain way. But there's a magnetism, there's a draw to things. And then that draw we learn from our mirror neurons, our system starts to resonate with, and then we become that. Like, it's like we, we, we grow into what we're drawn to. And often there's some deep work along the way. There's some stuff that has to be felt and confronted. So a mixture of suffering, you know, and, and, and um, feeling like lonely and out of place, even though I had friends and there were groups. It's not like I was like all alone in my house. I had connections. I wanted more, like something in me felt a longing or a draw for more. And, and I also, during that time I met in my twenties, I, I met some Sufi teachers and, mm. you know, I had like, I had played around with yoga and, and a lot of beautiful things with um, the realm of like Hindu religion. And I'd been around the Hare Krishnas and, and there's some cool things about that, but there were some things around judgment stuff that were hard for me. And I was Sufis and the amount of heart energy, the amount of exception from these people of all different ages, like being in a circle of a hundred people where overall there's this unconditional love and acceptance, no matter what you look like and where you're from, and what color your skin is and what you believe. Like the Sufis, they were like, you could be into Buddhism, you could be a Muslim, you could be a Christian, but there was this meeting place of, of basically with principles of like eat, dance and pray together. And I think that like my system, just a taste of that. And I was like, oh, Wow, I want to eat more of that. Like there was like a hunger, like I want that. But it can't be satiated by food. It had to be satiated by something more juicy, more exciting. And I, and I feel like most of us have that in our systems. And it just gets numbed though, especially now because we can be so distracted. And for whatever reason, I spent enough time out in nature hiking and enough time on my surfing and looking for waves and driving coastlines and having a lot of time when the surf wasn't good. So I was like just walking and being, and that really helped me because I was in nature so much that there was a deeper listening. And I do think that's a challenge a lot for people I've worked with who have more noise, you know, in the sense of social media is a lot of noise or just live in an environment where there is not as much nature contact. So there's mm. more stimulation, more things that kind of numb and dumb down our connection to the deeper impulse or pull or, or even hunger in our system. And we try to, we try to fulfill that by outsourcing things that, that are very readily available, unfortunately. And I think that's partly why it's a little harder sometimes to like, listen and find that you know it's so interesting honestly it's so interesting because i feel the feeling i get is like it's nearly like a 
it like a soul thing like it feels like in this incarnation it's your in your imprint already that curiosity because i don't know i, I can only speak for myself and i, I and I can do as much reflecting as I want to some mm -hmm. degree, but then I, I reach always the point where it's just like, yeah, something in me, bro, something was pulling me. And mm -hmm. in your story, what I found so interesting is you also spoke about your mentors and the elders that you were somewhat um, inviting into your energy field based on you know the the gravity you know you you pulled them in to some degree and then there seemed seemed to be like a resonance and then they were able to you know guide help you and and reflect to you what for example in that case some aspects of your father potentially could not have mirrored you or could not have provided you with and that for you know they they took you by the hand and 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 helped you with that step in your evolution and so again there as well it's like how did that happen <laughs> <You know? laughs> i find that mm. i find it fascinating yeah. yeah maxi thanks great tracking on that too i i it's it's fascinating i agree it's fascinating and in the work with relational work i've done i believe that we all our wounding and our soul maybe like draw is attracting situations and people to our lives and, and I, mm. I love that you're presencing this because, you know, we attract kind of on that positive level or they're both positive, really. It's like we attract on a wounded level that which is going to put in front of us the opportunity to grow and evolve. And, and this is where I'm really cautious with like what we call a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. In our world, some people go like, I was so traumatized by my father, I'm just this way. That's a fixed mindset, right? Which is very limiting versus, no, when you're traumatized, you're going to keep attracting situations and people and environments that are going to give little growth opportunities. And, and there is the ball is in your court a little bit of how, how much support you get around that, how much you listen, how much you make use of and pay attention to like what's really wanted right now to grow. So you're, you spoke really well to like my hunger, like my soul need you know, there was a soul need for me of people I could love and respect and connect with at, that like would help me see more in the world, help me love more in the world, help me have more, find more meaning in the world. And at the same time, I was attracting like relationships where my wounding would be activated, like my mom leaving when I was six. So I'd have this vulnerability with the feminine where I wouldn't want to open my heart. And honestly, even today with my wife, who I love so wholeheartedly, there are moments in the depth of our light connection, see that like I'll feel where my heart still has a little layer, a little protection where I don't let her all the way in, even though I've done so much work, even though there's so much awareness, it doesn't mean it just goes away. It's like, okay, I'm still in this growth edge with my beloved now. And fortunately, I can name it and breathe into it, make some space of it. It doesn't mean it goes away. It doesn't mean immediately I have this breakthrough and like my whole system opens to her and I let her in. Like it means like, okay, here's my growth edge I'm on and, and relationship has me there now. And I believe that's happened for me little by little consistently in lots of environments of like my wounding attracts people in situations. Even my need for more of a healthy father figure attracted an older man who didn't have kids, who's still a dear friend of mine, 
who came into my life and like began teaching me acupuncture and mentored me. And, and I came into his life as a young man that he could give his gifts to, that he could give his wisdom to, that he could share, who also would like look up to him like yeah. a puppy dog in some ways with so much respect and interest and care and curiosity that nourished his heart. And we still have this really precious reciprocal loving relationship, you know, of like he came in as a healthy spiritual father that blessed me. And, and just a few years ago, I was taking care of him right after he had a stroke. And like, I'm coming in as a son, a spiritual son that's like loving up this man who has been such a blessing in my life and showing up and reciprocating it on some level and trying to be there to support him through his system going through stuff, you know? Mm. <laughs> yeah, totally. Mm. Another thing I picked up on is the evolution that you were able to do by yourself and the evolution that you pointed out was taking place in relationships. And I guess coming up with a question is, in your experience, and I'm coming out of a relationship, so I'm shedding some skin there. In your experience, what does the evolution differ or to what how does the evolution differ from what you can do by yourself and what you can do within the container of a relationship mm, that's a beautiful question well the one within ourself is always happening whether because we're in relationship with everything and everyone all the time so like mm. there isn't a, I'm not, I'm never really just with myself because if we get really authentic, you know, we have ancestors that are living through us on some level. We may have some forms of like guidance systems, spirit guides, angels, maybe we call them. We've got, we've got benevolent forces and we may have shadow forces as well, disrupting like aspects of our growth as well. So I'm not going to put it all in the light realm, right? But on some level, we're never really alone on a certain level, like us and what we call spirit, God, life force, you know, is there all the time. And then of course, in relationship, there's something so deeply in front of us, right? And there's like how the matrix of our own inner healing and growth and deep acceptance and capacity to give and receive love is completely brought in front of us and, and interlocking and dancing with what's showing up over here with others, whether that's a beloved or that's like a friend or a parent or a child because it comes up in children big time too. So, you know, the more that the individual self-awareness, self-love, self-acceptance, curiosity, willingness to pay attention and learn and meet ourselves in every moment, the more developed that is, the easier this is because then we have more capacity to have more compassion, more curious awareness of the other and less reactivity to. So they're so proportionally related is the reactivity in me that shows up in relationship will show up on its own in me too, but it'll get louder in relationship. And, mm -hmm. and so the maturity of my own inner work that shows up in every relationship and then particularly shows up in deep love, intimate relationship, it gets tested and it has a, usually has a really big opportunity to grow when we start exchanging energy, intimacy, sex, connection, co-creating life together. There's an amplification of both of our stuff. And, and, and a big surge of possibility comes in, which often shows up as like our resistances, our, our, our avoidances, our tendency to, to like see the shadow in the other and not take ownership in our own. 
And that's to me when relationships starts to get problematic is when we put more attention on the other's shadow and not look at what's our growth around in relationship to that. It doesn't mean their behaviors are okay. It just means how am, how am I relating with what arises in me in relation to this person? Mm. And if we haven't done enough of that work inside ourselves and have more, make more friends with our own unconscious behaviors, our own ways of shutting down, checking out, closing off, pushing people away, um, checking, you know, um, avoiding conflict, avoiding our own inner feelings, it's going to get louder in relationship. This would you say there is, mm-hmm. would you say there is a, I mean, there's a time and a season for everything under heaven, right? So given that, mm, and I love that we are now we are right in the topic of, of relationships and that's where I wanted to go with you anyway. Um, so I was, I was wondering, um, in your experience, what are the signs um, or how can I sense or even maybe make sure that the intention with which I'm entering a relationship is coming from a place of, let's say, fullness and love mm. instead of lack and emptiness? Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, not saying we are, you know, I'm able to go in a relationship once I'm fully healed and everything is taken care of. But like there, in my experience, seems to be a, a, a difference between the intention of entering a relationship. So I would love to get your take on that. Yeah, thanks, Maxi. I appreciate that because you're going like right to the core of what often is the first real issue in a relationship a little bit. What I'm, what I'm hearing you name is, How do I know when I'm going into a relationship a little bit of trying to outsource love, approval, security, fulfillment, rather than be resourced in that more fully so I'm actually bringing that to do that dance with another? And that's the difference between codependency in some ways than, and true, healthy, evolved relating. You know, is, and, and, and it's like you just said beautifully too, is that It doesn't mean we have to fully arrive and be completely 100% connected to God and evolved and completely fulfilled to dance. We have to have this sensitive awareness of when we're trying to outsource love and approval and safety and security and another rather than to resource that, um, keep finding that and be exchanging that and sharing that and meeting from that. And if like we go too far outside of ourselves, literally, like we, we lean too far into the relationship and we're, we're like needing the sex, we're needing the connection, we're needing the appreciation and approval. And if we don't get it, we're like, oh, like, and we crash, there's a good sign of like, okay, there's my work. There's my opportunity of like, why is my system crashing? Why am I shutting down? Why am I all of a sudden feeling like so triggered and, and vulnerable and, and you know, um, my insecurity is up so loud because my partner pulled away or had another conversation with another man or another partner or somebody else. Why did my system do all that? Oh, well, that's because I'm, I'm outsourcing that like I'm not okay if I'm not getting the full attention, the full love, the full devotion from something outside of me. And that, you know, a lot of our world we live in and the models and movies and things we've witnessed, it highlights this romantic fantasy of like, you know, that like we find our soulmate and then there's this fulfilling energy. And I don't totally, I don't believe in that fairy tale. I do think that we find people we really resonate with and there's a, 
there's a mutual shared enlivenment, fulfillment, co-creative nourishment, and of course, within that continued growth, continued, you know, evolving and opening and learning. And so I, your question brings it back to what do I do then on some level, right? If, if, if I have a tendency to be looking outside myself and really needing that dating app and like the attention coming at me. And if I don't do that, I feel a little depressed and lonely and unfulfilled and my life doesn't have meaning, which unfortunately is very common for men who don't have really good friendships, aren't resourced in doing more purposeful work, aren't feeling mm -hmm. like they're really self-generating a life that has meaning and then bringing that to a relationship and then having children from that place, if there is a place that is, has some deeper wounding and has a lot of our cultural wounding and ancestral wounding right on that front line of where love's been blocked for generations, not even just in my life, like history and generations of where love got clouded, blocked, or there were deep losses or hardships or you know um, wars, all kinds of things that have blocked the flow of love or created big disruptions in the flow of love. We're all on the front line of that. So Usually if we have super deep stuff coming up, it's not just from our personal life. It's from what's happening in me and my own experiences and what's possibly in my lineage of experiences. And I'm on the front line of that, evolving mm -hmm. that. And so it's good for men to know that too. It's not like there's something wrong with you. You're the one who doesn't have it. And I really try to help men understand that you're carrying a lineage of experiences. And some of those experiences are really deep losses and wounds and, and hardships that, have, that went on for lifetimes potentially of people suffering and hardening their hearts and not knowing it's, things are going to be okay and living on this survival realm. So even if your life has looked cush, you may be actually on the forefront of that coming up through you for the benefit of your ancestry and what's to come. And that's why it's so overwhelming for a lot of people, men and women included, right? And why it's like, God, this is so big. And then the biggest problem with that is seeing that this is a problem with me. This is a problem with me not being spiritual enough or evolved. No, it's pro this is a problem with a society and a culture that doesn't hold people through that, that we don't have mentors and containers and environments like Sacred Sons and other ones that like have men feel like I'm not alone in this. I, I, this isn't just my burden on my shoulders. This is the burden of my ancestry and I'm right on the forefront of it. And then we can kind of use prayer, use intentionality, use support, realize that we do need more healthy resources and support and people to open up to to help us navigate the deepest growth edge for us. So I, I went a little big with that, but the core of it is that we're right there with our relationship is where some of those, those deepest set wounds and patterns and behaviors are going to surface up. And if, if that's happening, to me, that's an opportunity of like, let me reach out to get some support. And if that's just a brother circle or if that's like doing one-on-one -on -one work, let me find out why I get so jealous, why I get so insecure, why, why I feel so insecure, vulnerable, fragile in this relationship. And because that deep wound also will magnetize and track and even almost require our partner to play that game with us a little bit to be that role that's the other deep place is our deepest wounding will magnetize and almost pull out behaviors and others that perfectly interlock with that so that has to be confronted mm. and that's the deepest relational work that people don't put a lot of attention on is that at first a relationship starts with all the resonance all the like sexual energy and chemistry and pheromones and easeful conversation but there's always a shadow attraction which is 
where we've called each other in, not just because there's this beautiful thing. It's because that's a, there's enough of that that all of a sudden our deeper growth edge is going to come up where, we're, where we need to grow, where we need to evolve, where we need to return to a place of deep love for the benefit of us and our, our whole collective, um, you know, one way to think of it is the constellation of our life, you know, all the players in that. Mm. I love those two. I love that picture. And while you were speaking, <laughs> I had something coming to me where it's like, the louder and the bigger the, let's say, first layer of attract, attraction is, the sex, the, the pheromones, all of that, all of that noise, um, there seems to be a correlation to the bottom one. Um, meaning, um, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, yeah, they are related, you know, and um, I feel like the... I call it a slow burn, you know, um, when I'm looking at the relationships that I was cultivating. And okay, so far romantically, it has only been one, but it lasted a long, quite a, quite a long time mm. in relation to mm -hmm. how old I am. So, um, mm -hmm. but that was a slow burner, bro. That ah. was, that was not a, you know, pheromone, firework it kind was... of situation. That was really um, more of a, more of a, the, the, the intention was different. And I feel like those two, those, the, the two levels that you described, um, they were relating in a different way and we could drop, we, we could drop in to the, the deeper ones as well as the shadows, big time. Mm. I'm, I'm all here for it, honestly, <laughs> especially looking back. Mm. Um, so, so I feel like there is... Mm, there's a lot of distraction happening as well um, that is very, uh, it's, it's so, what's the word, you know, it, it's, uh, it's delicious, you know, the nectar is so <laughs> sweet, man. Mm. Um, mm. But it, 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 it sort of, it makes it really hard to, and, and the question that ties into that is, how do I know it's love? Mm. How do I know it's love, Shams? So mm. I wanted to ask you that when going if, into if a relationship. If it's not love, what is it? Psst. Hey, this is just going to be a very brief reminder. If you enjoyed this episode thus far, you can do me an enormous favor and gift me 15 seconds of your valuable time. Go to your podcast app right now. And if you enjoyed it, give Going Out Looking in a five-star rating. And while you're at it, hit that follow button and that bell icon to be notified whenever a new episode is being uploaded. Thank you so much for your support and let's go straight into the episode. I feel like there's a few ways we can go about that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's in some capacity, all love, all relating. And there seems so black and white, and then there's the 50 shades of gray in between. So I feel like, <laughs> so I feel like, I feel like the 50 shades in between is like, there might be love, um, but then there's a lot of, 
what names can we bring? What labels can we bring? Grief, mm-hmm. hurt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anger, projection, ancestral dynamics, yeah, wounding, uh, unworthiness, mm. uh, uh, lack of vision, direction. I feel like that is that might be a part of of if it's not love what is it then mm-hmm. what would you say yeah i appreciate your answering it because it's a good it's a good inquiry a little bit as if like we're drawn to somebody and we're having a dance if it's not love what is there and i i like to ask it a little differently in some ways because I, i i liked your first answer in a sense on some level it's all love like life is bringing things in to have an opportunity for love to flow again you know for love to be opened up for love to meet what's here What I, what I, the assessment I like to do when I'm meeting with a couple and they're in a lot of hardship and, and, it's, and it looks like love is not flowing and there's too much, like you said, grief, pain body. You know, Eckhart Tolle uses the yes. pain body description where yes. Yes. there's more interlocking from the pain body from like unresolved deep traumas, which I think is where you were going to, that like if it's not love, there's, there's like some kind of shadowy un- stuff that might be feeding off each other too. Like, you know, where it's like just recycling back and forth in some form of like power struggle that may have a lot of passion, mm-hmm, may have mm-hmm, a lot of mm-hmm. heat, but really it's more like in conflict and, and ultimately it may be serving love, but at some point it's, it's not. So I asked another question is, is when I'm working with a couple is like, is, does this feel like a healthy way for you to grow? Does this feel like a, you know, this experience with this person and this dance, whether I'm with both of them or one of them is, do you feel like this dance, this relationship, You know, love may be not there as much, but do you feel like staying in this and continuing this? Do you believe there's, a, there's room for something new to emerge where love will flow more? Or are you caught in something that really is unhealthy and you're going to keep repeating it and going down the rapids and being stuck? And that's the way I like to ask people there because love is usually there. There's care, there's love, there's some, some bond on some level of like, I, this person, there's some soul contract maybe we say too, right? Mm. And soul contracts to me have love in there. However, some people, the emotional bank account of positive exchange gets so depleted that they're more riding more on power struggle and pain body and, and these like this exchange where basically... 70% of the time, it's more like some dense, heavy energy that's draining both of them and, and maybe having an impact on their kids and maybe having an impact in the realm and they're like just surviving in that and maybe 20 or 30% is positive. I'm always looking relationally if it's 70 to 80% positive and then there's 20 to 30% like big challenges and moments that are really hard and fights and tension, that's healthy. That's part of the dance, right? But if it flips the other way, where only 20 to 30% of the time it's good and the rest of the time you're in some dynamic that's hard to get out of, is it healthy? And do we see a way out of this? If it's not healthy, then maybe, maybe the, the lesson or the opportunity is how do I have more boundaries and how do I not tolerate this and how do I step out of this because maybe that's where love turns on in you more for you than the relationship because sometimes we stay in relationships because we're not loving and connected to ourselves to care for ourselves enough that we tolerate behaviors and experiences that are toxic. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. I'm learning a lot. Mm. Um, yeah. 
that's where life is happening, bro. It's really in between. <laughs> I feel like, you know, that's where, yeah. where all the, yeah, where the nectar is really. And we're looking, actually, I led my first men's group yesterday. And it's all about, you know, mm. I statements. So I'm not saying we, I'm saying me. I yeah. certainly um, feel like I want to have the five-step program, Shams. Give me the five steps. <laughs> how can mm. I find it? How can I find the love? You know, how do I know it? And it's like, I love that question. Um, you know, is it, is it good? Is it safe for you to grow? Um, because, yes, the narrative behind a relationship, I view it as such. I view it as, wow, this is, this is a wow, this is a magnifying glass for my growth, for my expansion, mm -hmm. um, vice versa with my partner. So, yes, let's do it. Let's go on this ride together um, and see how, how far we can, you know, carry ourselves and, and see where, how long, you know, that is mutually really benefiting our, our expansion, you know, and this co-creation. And, yeah. I mean, in theory, that all sounds very romantic and beautiful. We all know that, you know, at some point, you know, there might be a tipping point and, you know, the one partner still has maybe the feeling, I am still growing. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can still use more of, that, more of that. And then while the other party may be like, yeah, I'm, I feel like I've given all that I can give and I've also received a lot, but it's time for me to move on. So... um yeah, I, I, I guess I wanted, wanted to have asked that earlier. Like, is there, do you feel like there is some, some work where you would definitely say in, in, like, on an individual level, this, 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 these, these things should be resolved prior for, you, for anyone to enter a relationship? Or is it really so individual that something like that cannot be, cannot be answered? Yeah, it's so individual that it can't be answered. There are some people that where they're at and where their state of mind is and how, how much inner suffering there is that is probably not healthy to try to dance with another and, unless they get more support to work on that, you know? You know, if... If someone is doing life and most of the time they're really struggling and there's a lot of really negative thoughts and, and deep emotional upset and turmoil, making peace with that and working with that and doing more spiritual work slash somatic, you know, therapy, emotional type work to make peace within a little bit more and be in, in similar to what I said is the 80, the 80, 20 mm -hmm. rule in some ways, or the 70, 30 rule is, is, you know, in my own self, like, you know, how how available am I really to give and receive love? And, and if I'm not doing that well inside of me with where I'm struggling and, and if my inner critic is so loud that it keeps ripping me open and knocking me down and not giving me any healthy ground to walk on, I've got to work on that first. Like I'm, I'm a fan of that. And I've seen that in relationships where, where I'm working with a couple and, and one, let's just say, has more love, has more easefulness in themselves and the other is really more in a negative cycle. It's not like I'd say separated, say like, well, this one, this person, it'd be really valuable for them to do more personal, supportive, individual work to get more stable, to be more available. And it doesn't mean they should separate. It just means that person needs to make a bigger choice and commitment to go within, 
mm-hmm. you know, and to go within and, and get the support to look at and work through and move and face and breathe into some of the deeper things that are arising in them that they don't have the capacity to do in, in the presence of the other necessarily. You know, when I'm when rela- around relational work, I'm always looking at this dance, de- this dance between self-regulation, my ability to kind of cool myself down when I'm mm-hmm. anger, mm-hmm. angry, my ability to recover, and co-regulation, which is my ability to stay present and stay connected to and stay in the dance even in the heat of tension or or sexual connection or anything. Co-regulation is this ability to stay present enough and centered in myself and regulated enough in myself that we can move through storm. That means if my partner gets really upset and is really reactive, it doesn't set me off to meet them in reactivity, but I stay as a tuned instrument. Mm-hmm. I stay in tune even if, if she's out of tune and lovingly you know, accept, meet, breathe into, invite her to fine tune with me again. Not because she's doing something wrong, but because I'm not going to le- go out of tune because she's out of tune, which is what fights often are. One person gets out of tune, really upset, very reactive, volatile emotionally, and then the other meets them there and they both go out of tune. And then we have what we have, right? So I think of it as like part of our work relationally is how do I stay in tune in my own instrument of being, you know, in my own heart and breath and being with what's in front of me, whether that's my child having a big flare up and a big upset. If I do what my dad and got yelled and overpower the child and shut them down, mm-hmm. I went out of tune bigger than they're out of tune and then force them to stop, right? Versus, oh, my child's really upset. Let me breathe more. Let me make more of a safe space. Let me acknowledge what's happening. Let me give loving attention and acceptance to my little one. And then their system comes into tune with me. Mm. And they, they move through something really quickly. Co-regulation is that to me relationally. Is One person may have a big upset related to you, but also related to what happened on their way home from work or what happened with the kids that day or what happened with their boss. There's usually a lot more to it. So our work is like, how do I see through the part that's coming at me about me and meet that and breathe into that and stay in tune and stay present with and invite my partner to move through what's going on till their wave breaks and they recover and we can connect again. Mm. I guess this is part of your work. Um, This is exactly where where we are at right now. But dude, I'm so curious now, um, like because the one thing seems obvious to me, which is the, the, the work on an individual level. How can I work on myself as, like, how can I regulate myself? Um, you know, and I can think of modalities. How about the co-regulation? Um, is that something that is being practiced in relation with the beloved? And if so, is that the work that you're doing? Um, yeah. For sure. It's a very significant aspect because it's, of with couples I work with because often we live in a culture where when people have a date night, they just sit together and watch a movie. They're not really actually yep. dropping yep. in and lighting a candle and breathing heart to heart. And maybe they, and the best example of co-regulation often for, often for couples is having sex, right? But even that sometimes can be more sexual than intimate. It can be very sexual and primal and have a lot of pleasure, mm. but it might not always have deep eye gazing, deep heart to heart connection and and a quality of like real mutual exchange that is sexual, but also is beyond that, right? That has a little more of this aspect of weaving our energetic systems together in a super deep, profound way. And so when I'm working with couples, you know, the way I work with co-regulation is I say co-regulation starts with when you're having a good time together. It's not like you're trying to find that when you're in a fight. 
you're looking to be more intentional right. about stopping and like putting a hand on each other's hearts and taking a few breaths and letting your hearts come in tune with each other. Very simple, right? Or just when you're listening, there's a gener- generous quality of feeling your partner and, and letting, taking them in while staying present with you and creating a shared you know, relational space together where your partner really feels your undivided presence and attention for a few moments. You know, it doesn't have to be 10 minutes or a half hour. It's just a high quality meeting. That's a form of co-regulation. I'm really here. I'm, right. I'm genuinely listening. I'm with you. And to me, th- those are things when I'm working with a couple, I'm, I'm wanting to encourage them to cultivate when they're having a good time. And unfortunately, a lot of couples don't get support until their emotional bank account is so depleted that they're, mm. they have a hard time even looking each other in the eyes sometimes or connecting. And that's not always the case, but it is common that couples, they kind of go to support last resort, you know? And, and then it's more like, all right, how do we individually get better at being in the tension and conflict, you know? But ideally, we're more doing preventative medicine in a certain yep. sense relationally that we are um, bringing in healthy behavioral patterns and shared quality time together that allows us to nourish this emotional bank account of exchange so that when there is a disruption or a fight, we can, reco- we can recover quickly. And it won't be such a deep like ouch yeah. that has us protect our heart and shut down. Yeah, I love that. I love the infrastructure behind it and doing work while things, while things are flowing, while we are good, while we are healthy, while we are strong to somewhat prepare for what's inevitable in any relationship, right? So I love mm-hmm. that. I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, on a, on, I could go on a whole, open up a whole new tab here around the, you know, that, that, the, the, the philosophy that's behind that it's when I'm looking at how we treat sickness and illness in general, you know, do we wait to get sick for the medicine to arrive or do we, you know, take care that, you know, we don't get sick in the first place. So I, 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 I yeah. relate with that and I resonate with that a lot. Um, given the expansive experience you have with working with couples, especially in relationships, um, what's something you, you, you see coming up again and again and why do you feel like that is coming up and how can we go about that? <laughs> yeah. I could pick a few things, but I think the first one I'll go to is um, what I often see, and, and folks don't always realize this is what's going on, is kind of a competition between who's right. That like in relationship and you're living together, you know, we have, let's just say we have a political viewpoint or we have a viewpoint around COVID and vaccines or we have a viewpoint around how our kids' education should be, you know, and what's right or wrong. Couples will have different viewpoints. They'll be in different camps around what they believe in. And there's such a, um, a firm fixation for each person in their belief and why they're right and why the other should see it that way. To me, that's one of the biggest problems relationally, but also around the world, whether that's religion, whether that's politics, 
and and we we stand in an encampment most of the time that's not 100% accurate like we we've been informed by like what we've heard you know social media wise on the news what we've read politically other people's opinions very rarely do we stand in an encampment in our own fixed belief about what, why why we're right that is legitimately in full educated experience mm. so we'll fight for something that we really aren't completely knowledgeable and and know at the core of our soul being. And I see this all the time because, you know, it's happening right now with the war that's going on, you know, both in whether that's in the Ukraine or what's happening with Hamas and Israel and the Palestinian, you know, this is like, like there's a lot of information out there and you can kind of get into these encampments about what's right or wrong, but very few of us have a complete looking glass into all the moving parts and a complete experiential knowing even if I'm one of the like parents of like a child that was kidnapped and taken and is in, you know, is in hostage right now, like I'm going to have a viewpoint of what's going on. And of course that one's going to have a lot of like them, them, like they've done this to me. And that's not incorrect. However, I feel like relationally to me, this is where we're on this evolving edge together is that this happens on a micro level in relationships all the time, whether it's about like who did the dishes or the trash or things, we, we get fixated in a position that on some level attacks the character of the other versus the behavior and belief of the other. If that makes sense, when I'm, I wanna say it again because we, we get in a fixed position and we start making the person wrong rather than what they've fixed into. We take it personally. You know, the way that's a religion, like, we, we, like people have a religious belief, we make the people wrong rather than what they've subscribed to as a religion which may not be healthy and which is toxic, which has them behaving in a way that's unhealthy. And to me, we take the humanity out then and we remove compassion. We remove the willingness to try to go deeper and understand what's going on for our partner. Mm. To like try to understand the feelings below that, the, the deeper want and reason that's below why they're standing in that position, which probably will resonate with our deeper want. And that, to me, relationally, is where the biggest breakthroughs happen. And there's a lot of other avenues you can go down, but to me, this one's so significant because it's micro, relationally, and it's macro, world, collectively. If, if I can't have compassion for, let's just say Hamas for a sense, because it's really hard, which they are very toxic, right? And their beliefs are like really um, confronting and, and just like evil, it seems, right? On a certain level, if we look at the beliefs of those two, and... How do I try to find what's behind the humanity of that and why underneath that? It doesn't mean I agree with it or I want that behavior and I don't want to stop it. It just means, is there a place in me that's also trying to find the heart yep. in that soul that's carrying so much anger and wounding and hatred and upset that that's what's running the behavior and the action? And if some place in me can lovingly penetrate into that, and this is like a healthy aspect of the masculine, is that can I look at somebody who's ragingly upset at me as a white man in Hawaii, you know, living here when the Hawaiians have had their land taken away and I'm living here and I'm another white guy who owns property in Hawaii and potentially is taking land from the culture here, you know, and doing my best to participate, but like, which get really real in my life. Can I see into the, the, through the anger and into like, here's a man who feels like their sacred ground has been taken and by their ancestors year and year back. And if I can see that, I can hear their anger and I can make space and honor their anger and not take it personally. And maybe I can build a bridge to like really hear 
and do my best to understand and meet that person in a way that they feel penetrated by my sincere wanting to understand, sincere willingness to like go below the anger and, and meet them somewhere else where something can emerge between the two of us, where some form of knowing each other and respect can happen. And relationally to me, that move is where real breakthroughs happen. When one person can take off their clothing of what they identify with and try to lovingly hold and see and feel and meet their partner deeper than the reactivity into like what they, almost like you could feel in your gut, what are they really wanting and how do I meet that instead of fight over the surface? Mm. Mike Posner, the musician, he said something very simple. And it's, your music can only be, as a musician, your music can only be as deep as you are as a person. And when I'm hearing you speak about that, I'm like, your relationship, your relationships mm. can only be as deep as you go and as you l have looked in the mirror. And it's really, it seems to me like what you've just shared is very much resonating and i see on the on the flip side of it i see what that takes i i feel like i get a sense and and yes like like you were perfectly pointing out that's the medicine our world needs <laughs> and having said that why is it not the not that way because people get very reactive all the time and are not able to to build that bridge as you so beautifully pointed out. Um, so, so I guess just as a facilitator of this space right here and having this conversation, I guess this is our contribution to it, shining a light mm. on it. Mm. Because yes, that's the medicine we need. Whether it's in relationships with our beloved or in relationship with, for me as a German, I don't even have to start the whole conversation around what went down in history here and where we are politically right now. So there are relationships as well where the humanity is anything but on the forefront of people's hearts when they go into a room. It's just, just hate and just anger and just frustration. And... One thing that also came up is I did a lot of acting work um, in, in my previous years when I, was, yeah, when I was just coming out of uni. And this is exactly what you do there. You always, if you play the most horrific and, and violent and vicious serial killer as an actor, you need to look for the humanity of that character mm. in order mm. to connect to them. That's what you, you need to, you, that's, you rely on that so that you as a, yeah, hopefully not a serial killer, you can relate to them from, a, from, from your place so you relate to their humanity. This is how you establish that connection. So, so that's also why I'm saying always, like I, I feel like acting, for example, acting workshops is, is not only great for embodiment, but just in also to establish relationships because it teaches you to yeah. find yourself in mm. the character. You're never playing the character. You play yourself 
in that. And so that was coming up big time. And I, mm. Mm, yeah, wow, beautiful. <laughs> we, there we went. Yeah, brother, there. beautiful. I, I really resonate a lot of times when the work I was doing with Gay and Katie Hendricks in their world, we would do this thing called persona play, which, you know, I have some acting experience when I was young that I so resonate and love. And we all have these characters inside of us too. You know, even our inner critic is a character. And some of our, we have personas that we try on. Like if I had to enter a courtroom right now, there may be a certain persona that comes in in me that does my best to navigate that courtroom, right? We have, we have like winning formulas of what we're doing and we're acting half the time on a certain level and it gets problematic when that persona clouds the essence of our being, which I appreciate mm-hmm. your naming too. It's almost like the, the essence of your being, you keep your essence when you try on being that character, right? When you are acting and you're being like some shadow character that has a huge amount of wounding, you're not losing your essence so you don't overly become and embody that character. And so relational work, a lot of times it is a little bit too of, how do we make it bigger? Like when I work with couples, we'll play with their worst behaviors. How do we make a space for like the worst behavior? It's not like you're going to like never yell at your partner again and get that upset. We're not trying to say, turn that down and never do that. That's kind of what religion tries to do. Don't be this way Mm. versus, all right, how do I, how do I move anger and let anger have a full expression without having aggression that attacks the person? How do I be angry in my system and meet that and not try to stifle and stop that energy and put on a meditative face that has fake compassion, but actually how do I be in anger in a way that you can stay connected to me that doesn't attack you, that goes, you know, I'm really angry. Like what you said triggered a whole wave of all kinds of feelings and anger and I can make all kinds of, all kinds of stories of why I'm angry at you, but really I'm just, there's anger moving through me. Let me move that a little bit and stay in that so we can stay connected example of co-regulation. Can I be with my anger and you meet me in my anger and allow it and not have it trigger you to get intoxicated with me? Because another way to think of why it's so hard in the world is that there's an intoxicating element of reactivity. Like when we go into survival, fear-based, you know, political, religious belief systems, we literally, in some ways, our state changes and we get an intoxicated hit of particular, you know, endocrine chemicals and things like that, you know, cortisol, fight or flight survival that our system goes. And then we narrow our viewpoint of our eyesight, our understanding. And we do that relationally. We narrow our ability to see the other person as human and equal. Mm-hmm. And we go into becoming, you know, an intoxicated being that will say things and do things that they'll regret later. And that's almost always true. So part of relational worlds, when do, when do we notice that we're starting to get intoxicated and, and sober ourselves up or shift our state by doing some presencing, movement, breath, meeting, naming, noticing, owning, all the little things that we do in the relational world to kind of sober our systems out of some form of intoxic- toxicity that, that is, um, unfortunately, it's almost like a, it's very, it becomes viral. Toxicity becomes viral just as like negative news does or social media reactivity does and people feast on it and there's something in their system resonates with that and then passes it on. How often does like very good news get shared virally, you know, to millions and millions of people, right? It does, but not the same level of like the like wave that just knocked a house down, you know? Mm. (laughs) And yeah, responsibility is the word that comes to me, right? So it is responsibility 
because we are able to respond so right that's yeah. that's that's yeah. that's where 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 the nectar is right there you know am i able to respond or am i just a reactive erupting volcano going off um and it and i feel like this is this is where power this is where where i'm a sovereign being you know mm. this is where i'm like oh wow i actually have a choice and i'm not just ju just just the trauma that is clearly within me because you know yeah I, just where i'm at right now yes i'm not in that i'm not in a relationship with a beloved but i'm in a relationship with the world and i'm getting triggered every single day multiple times it's happening all the time <laughs> so it's just different kind of stuff that's being hit right now um where actually as you you know as much as i fully am trying my absolute best always to be fully present with you this thing here got activated right now where i'm just like yes this one relationship in my life i'm getting triggered right now and i'm not able to respond i'm just reactive you know so i this is this is why this, this these conversations are so powerful because you know and and i know for the listeners as well because you know for each one of us it will be a different layer of of life and and something will get triggered but yeah there is there's so much truth in that and the work lies in in the nuances and and you know as we also pointed out you know on the individual level so that might be objective truth and then there is you know okay what so what does that mean for me and that's also what i found so powerful and also some i worked with coaches before when i did some more work in the marketing field mm. and um when i was advising them it was always like sometimes they were pulling back a little bit on what they share what they put out mm. and i always like encouraged them i said like you can share as much as you want because the truth the objective truth of what you're teaching they can read about that but the true value is in working with them one on one and transferring that truth to them and i feel like you know that that is so that's so powerful and and um that's also how i came then me personally to work with people sometimes that i'm speaking on a podcast with because i'm like yeah. all right i understood it i understood it bro but <laughs> what does that mean now I, i i can't seem to get out of that dynamic you know i'm still mm -hmm. stuck you know i i can't seem to get out although i cognitively understood it and that's what i saw you do with the brothers of sacred sons as well you know so you're holding that talk and then it's just like all right so i have like this friend and it's like that and and then you're like asking and you're mirroring and stuff and that's where that's where it's happening you know and this is this is so beautiful yeah um i guess just another yeah word of encouragement towards your work <laughs> mm. thanks brother i hear that too and i could my my wife is often like why don't you make more social media videos you know and put them out and 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 be more proactive that way and it's one of my growth edges and i just go i don't really want to you know mm. i don't have to either you know i have enough work through word of mouth and things like that but you know there is that dance of like if i want to have you know more impact or or even just participate more in a positive way on that platform but i have these places in me that go like i just 
I feel like in session, it's a little more sacred and trying to share it just like speaking it out. You know, like when you and I are talking and we're having this dialogue, we're in this exchange together. And yes, mm-hmm. people will witness it and watch it. But I'm with you. I'm speaking to you, even though knowing. And so if I go to a social media and I just try to share a video out um, and like put it out there, I just have found I have my own little resistances. And 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 uh, and it's a growth edge for me. And I haven't made a big enough commitment to make that a valuable thing, you know, to choose it. Although I get feedback all the time, like, why don't you share more? And uh, so hearing you, I was like, oh, that, that came up for me. That's a good little awareness mm. in my own self around your, your gift of supporting someone with marketing. That touched me a little bit like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's an edge for me, you know? Oh, man. But now oh, I, I have to say now, but please never change, though. <laughs> please don't get like this whole because like I'm leaving that marketing persona behind and I would a lot of the mm-hmm. things that I did in my professional field and work as a marketer, I would do very differently based on the person I am today, honestly. So, and especially if you have enough work, bro, like, because Mm -hmm. that is what we are doing. You know, one could, one could probably, you know, label that as marketing to some degree. And that is so much more natural and and organic and beautiful. I, I myself feel that way, you know, because the podcast on the other side, you know, is something that I, that somewhat markets, I guess, me or whatever I'm standing mm-hmm. for. But the intention is a whole different one than standing in front of a microphone and just sharing something. So, yeah, um, I'm contradicting myself a little bit here, but I, I no, just wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted <laughs> to encourage great. you because I, I, I feel like it's so beautiful, man. And, and if you, if, if that's your truth, then you stick with it, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you well, were that, just bringing that said, up- I'm in the process. Well, I'm in the process right now of uh, producing a course for Sacred Sons on relational skills called embodiment and relationship. And, and when we were speaking a little earlier, ago, you named that place of there's and I speak to this in the course a little bit of why we're calling it embodiment and relationship is because there's often a gap between our understanding and what we are actually applying and able to embody and be. And, you know, there's hundreds of self-help books that have all kinds of fabulous recommendations and we can thoroughly understand to not yell at our kids or our wife. And yet, what do we do to be able to rewire our nervous system so we don't get intoxicated and override our knowledge? Because knowing and understanding is never enough. There has to be application. And so that's what the course is about is too is what are we practicing? What are we cultivating? What are we doing? Just like going to the gym. It's like I could know I need to lift weights, but it's not until I go to the gym four times a week or whatever it is where like system starts really changing and opening going online. It's very similar relationally as if you want to grow individually or relationally, you're putting yourself in experiences and environments or you're cultivating and trying on things that are, that are allowing your system to deeply know, you know, K-N-O-W, like know on a visceral experiential level so your wisdom and your experience can speak louder than what you think you know. And that's one of the shadows of social media as if people can regurgitate and say all kinds of things and speak from, you know, what they would call authority or a place of expertise, but they might be 25 years old and only had one relationship or they might, they, they may have a lot of mental brilliance and, and some deep wisdom. Um, and yet they may be able to say a lot of things that, that when they get in relationship, they don't yet embody. 
yep. that like they hit all the same snags. And I've worked with a lot of those folks who are very successful and have made tons of money, you know, teaching yoga or having a platform and sharing things and being a influencer, we call them often. And then they get in a relationship and they've got plenty of money and resources, but they're unexperienced yet in um, applying and being in and, and kind of burning through the denser, heavier stuff that only happens through experience. And so, you know, we do have an easy, easy platforms for a lot of premature teachers who are kind of not fully baked in their experience. Mm. And, and, and I'm not going to make that wrong. It's just part of the journey we're in right now. It's just part of the dance. But those, those people in that place usually get humbled pretty thickly by life because, you know, energy kind of comes around, right? If you have, if you're generating a lot of energy, but a lot of sharing, you're going to magnetize pretty strong experiences that are going to push you to grow. Absolutely. No, totally. <laughs> There's much to be understood, but you know, it's, it's the rubber hits the road with, with life. Absolutely. I, I fully agree. Um, you touched on your, you touched on your beloved, um, a couple of times throughout this conversation. We're talking about relationships. Uh, I have to ask you, um, how your relationship with your wife, how did, how does, how does this relationship inform your work? Mm. Gosh, in so many ways. Um, for one, my, my wife's pretty close to you right now. She's leading a, a journey in Egypt right now. So we've been apart for almost three weeks. She's coming home on Saturday, but she's been leading a, a woman's sacred journey down the Nile. Mm -hmm. And so she's there. And, and um, I say that because one part of what's really I love about my wife is that we have this really wonderful dance of our ability to be individual and, and be on our path and do what we do. And then to come back in and have this shared life. We both mostly work from home, you know, with clients in online and in person and out of our, our home nest temple here. And there's this wonderful dance of um, one of the places that we're consistently stretching is how do each of us know how to transition out of like work life details into evening together, into mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a nourishing dinner. How do we know when to put down, you know, the cell phone or the things we're, we're holding our heads and actually create quality shared connection time. And to me, we we're living that as a practice and it's an edge, you know, sometimes more, more for her than me sometimes because I've, um, her work probably invites her to be more engaged sometimes with, with social media than mine, because I don't use social media in that way as much. Um, so there's a dance for me of one way I'm dancing with my wife too, is how do I lovingly without judgment, be a warm invitation for my love, my wife to meet me in the way that like would change gears for us and drop us into a different way of being together. And, and at the same time, um, uh, one of the edges for me too is that I can, if she's doing that, I can go, you know, I'm just going to go play music and do my own thing and go do what lights me up into the evening and, and not choose to nourish relationship because she's already got something going on. And to me, there's this consistent dance of, How do we keep choosing to make sure that we have high quality time together? We have a date night and we spend usually all day together on Saturday as a co-creative day that we are really focusing on our quality time together. And even that, it's a, it's a practice for us to keep con committing to and choosing to generate quality experiences together where, where we really are dropping into those states of, of nourishing our bank account and, and doing all the things I say that couples should do, right? The practice for us to value that and create that and to make sure that we're doing that. And we do that really well. And 
I can see how easy it is to, to um, have things pull us out of that path into parties, gatherings, friends, things happening, living on a beautiful island in Hawaii, like just going and, and doing all the things that are available to us versus dropping in. You know, because uh, this podcast name is like, we're, we can go out and be highly stimulated and go watch the whales and go paddle boarding and do these things, which is so wonderful. Or we can go surfing and that can be really great. And yet the going in together and the like creating a sacred space of, of tantric union and sharing and going into sexual energy and exchange and intimate space, like I could feel my layers of resistance and and continual opportunity to choose that again and make sure that I value that. And every time I do, there's the rewards are always like, wow, that was so mm. good that we did that. But there's those buffers of, of a resistance and, and avoidance and wanting to do things that are more useful than like setting a powerful container to drop in. So that's one way it informs me as I'm on the front line in my own life, continually having that opportunity to keep choosing and embodying and living what I share couples can do. Right. And fortunately, we're pretty successful at that. And I see where the pitfalls are. I see where, where the snags are of like other things that can captivate our attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is partly the reason why I'm asking these questions is because, you know, you, on paper, you have experience in that field and, you know, you know a lot. But as we just discussed, you know, that's the lived experience and that makes me, you know, so I, I, I trust you with that now um, mm -hmm. because I, I see you in it. And for me, that is um, beautiful and like particular in your case and seeing you and your wife, I've, I've seen some photos and seeing how you talk about it. Also, I've, I've you know, I, I did my homework with the preparation for the podcast, listen to other conversations with you and stuff. Um, and I feel this, um, it's a lived, it's a lived experience for you. Um, and I just wanted to acknowledge that. And a question that is tied to that, <laughs> and that I'm actually, yeah, I, 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 I really want to want to ask you that um, because there seems a, a lot of. Um, so I lived in Berlin just right up until last last year, and it's and it's a very, how do I say? It? So the progressiveness of mm. relationships has mm. um, has taken, you know, is really um, taken its form and it's 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 shimmering in all layers of society and it's finding its ways and it's very yeah you know modern or whatever and one part of that um is you know all of the open relationship models and um going away from you know this all dusty way of looking at relationships and you know that word commitment you know i'm committed to you know if anyone then i'm committed to myself And if I'm entering a relationship, then, you know, I, I, I bring the best version, but, you know, I'm not committed to one individual and because, you know, that would narrow my growth and my expansion. And having said all that, I, I just wanted to give you and open up the space to give you this, the, the room to share a little bit about your experience with mm -hmm. that and your, your take on that. 
Yeah, that's a, this is a juicy one to open. And, mm. and there's, a lot, there's a lot to it. You know, I grew up you know, in Santa Cruz and near San Francisco in the Bay Area. So I've been on the forefront of being around a lot of the progressive, you know, open relationships, polyamory, all those right. realms. And, and, you know, I don't have a right or wrong about what's good or not. Well, this first, the, my first response often is that many people are not mature enough in their relational skills to open channels with multiple people. And that when we do weave our sexual energy with a person, there's a lot of exchange. There's a lot that happens. When we have sex with someone and we bond our energies and we weave our energetic systems, a lot happens. And as much as, as people want to say that I don't primal bond or, or like I don't want to limit myself and all that, most of our systems naturally gravitate to like partnering and bonding with another person. And, and some people, because of that, their body and nervous system will not be at the level of their thoughts and understanding of what polyamory is. Like their idea of like, I won't get jealous. I'll be able to stay in good communication. I won't get intoxicated by a new lover with all the hot energy and fresh sexual juice that will like captivate me so much that I'm not interested in my primary lover or my wife or my husband or my partner. I've seen so many times where um, people's nervous system body doesn't resonate necessarily with their idealism of wanting to be open. And, and again, I don't have a right or wrong that you shouldn't do it. I do think it's also part of an evolving edge we're on as humanity, just like it's very similar to like whether we're identifying as masculine or female or both or as a them or as a, as a realm of non-sexual you know, nature. Like I'm not a man, I'm a man and a woman. And there's a lot of that happening right now too in the collective. There is this, this exploration, opening, kind of widening of our sphere of understanding, which has existed in, in humanity forever. Like they, in Hawaiians, they call it mahu, where someone doesn't denominate as male or female. They are all of it or both, you know? So it's similar sexually is like, because of that, the world doesn't always know how to meet that, you know? And, and um, many times I've supported couples who, let's just say they've been together a long time. They have kids together. Their sexuality has turned off. Right. And, and they, they, so they're one, one or both are going like, maybe we should open up and dance with another. And, and so the first principle to me is, okay, good. Well, make sure that your, your emotional bank account, your communication with each other, your agreements around that are so clean and solid and sacred and safe that when one of you opens that door, there is some healthy integration of the things that arise that you wouldn't expect that there's an ability to digest that in time and that, that, that there are some stops if one person like does get literally intoxicated by the new connection and infatuated and has like all this new energy that goes on where, where naturally their system just wants to like ride that ship over there and take that for a ride for however long it lasts, you know. And to me, that's the dance a little bit is how do you make sure that if you are choosing to do that and you have a primary partnership, that you have the maturity, capacity, and, and commitment and devotion to this enough that you, have a, you can control the throttle switch inside yourself and make sure you don't get taken too far and you can bring that back and integrate. And you can also bring back what gets opened up sexually with another to your primary partner and actually see if that infuses something new into your dance so that you bring that home mm -hmm. and you allow that to be some fresh energy that allows this to not get stagnant 
that that infuses something new into your dance. Like that's one way I'll encourage a couple to dance with that is like, and I, I rarely encourage couples to both simultaneously go and have dances and bring them up like one, then the other, or like just to try to have it so that there's just a slower pace at being able to stay really conscious with the things that arise and to have a lot of authenticity and honesty and digestion of the deeper emotions that maybe we wouldn't expect of like jealousy or like fear of loss and fear of abandonment or or um, anger and resentment that comes up because the energy is getting so strong over here and you don't feel it towards you anymore. There's all kinds of things that can arise. And so to me, that's how I work with it. Um, so if we pull that in and it's just a cup, somebody who's like not in relationship and they're dancing and dating with multiple people and they're having, you know, multiple partners sexually, um, you know, I, again, I won't say that's not healthy or bad. I would say that many people who are doing that are probably in their 20s very often too and they haven't maybe had a lot of long-term relationships or they're very, they're, the idealism is really switched on and they're, they're engaging. I often will see that um, there literally won't be the nervous system capacity to be able to really deeply understand and give the quality of attention and depth of understanding and willingness to work through what comes up with each person they're dancing with, let alone their own being able to to notice like what's arising with me and which partner do I have like a stronger yes with and am I just kind of um, getting intoxicated and kind of using sexuality like a drug that I'm getting off on and am I kind of addicted to all this epic sexual energy that's happening, but it's really a distraction to me from really generating my own fulfillment in my life. Mm. So that's the shadow of it a little bit too, is that people can be really lit and excited about that festival lifestyle and a lot of sexual dynamics, and they can be using it again as trying to get self-worth, acceptance, pleasure, love outside themselves, and then getting addicted, kind of like taking too much ayahuasca, like I'm going to keep journeying (laughs) out here, rather than integrating and... Doing what, doing the work to to really um, meet myself more deeply, so I can truly honor who I'm sexually weaving with, because sexuality is weaving. Whether people like to believe it or not, when you go inside somebody, if a man penetrates a woman and she lets him in and she opens her heart, and they're having a weave of sexual exchange, a lot more is going on than our culture really knows how to recognize and honor. The auric fields, the the energetic alignments, the, the exchanges between the chakra energy systems are so significant that people don't really know how to honor that. And, and because of that, that will bring up deep lower chakra wounding and, and stuff in there and even like generational old perpetrator mentalities in men and, and women who have had to be like sexual slaves in past lives potentially or generation like we're talking about some deep shit that gets brought up for people that that like if you're not like putting some light on that and breathing into and digesting that you're basically recycling toxic patterns potentially versus using that as a a resource to really grow and evolve and increase your consciousness capacity healing love and even ability to be a force of like service and healing which ultimately i think we all are in every single relationship is we're a, a force of loving service and connection and healing. So that's a lot I said, but there's a lot to it, right? Yeah. And it is 
ties so perfectly into what you were sharing earlier. And you just nailed it, bro. Sexuality and intimacy. So we are talking about two pair of shoes right there, you know. The one is, and, and you, you elaborated on it so beautifully, the infrastructure, like spiritually behind sexual intercourse, the energy exchange on a spiritual energetic level, um, yeah, it goes way beyond, yeah, the sexual aspect in and of itself, like alone. There is so much, um, I feel like also evolution that can take place in that intimacy. And it's, there's like a very, it doesn't have anything to do with like sexuality per se, but with intimacy that I just shared with, with a woman. And the, the fact was, we 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 didn't we we just looked in each other's eyes she's she, she, and and because we have a very close relationship as as friends okay um that that intense eye gazing between us given that relationship was so intimate and it mm. and it activated so much in me and brought up so much fear <laughs> it's just fear i was scared li literally like little boy was activated some shadow in me was activated trying to hide you know now she sees me in all my she sees all of me or a lot definitely you know mm -hmm. and given that history of what she clearly knows because we are friends now it's getting magnified by her literally looking into my eye and like i said we were far from there was no no touching nothing going on it was just that and so for me that was like this lived experience of sexuality and all of the fireworks going off and just that simple presence looking in each other's eye and that intimacy and what that just evoked in me so if you transfer that obviously what you just shared so now add the layers of physical intimacy, add the energetic, you know, frequency exchange, add that, and then feel into how intimate that is and what that will trigger within you. So if you allow that, I guess, you know, that fire can burn away wounds <laughs> and, and bring tremendous healing, but, you know, we gotta be courageous to do so. I, I, I can just literally out of personal experience from a couple of days ago, I'm just like, okay, the next relationship I'm going to be in, right, I'm here for the ride, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but um, it's, and this, I just like it because it's so graspable, you know, sexuality and intimacy. Mm. So we are really mm. talking about two different things and they go hand in hand, but yeah. Yeah, so. and, and unfortunately, they're often separated, right, in our world. You know, porn separates intimacy from sexuality most of the time, right? Like, that's one reason why it's a little bit toxic is there can be a lot of arousal, a lot of things, but not a lot of deep, personal, intimate, like, knowing, connected to each other. And that's not, again, it's not bad. It's just, it's, um, it's not fulfilling. It's not genuinely holistic in the sense of integrous and, and holistic. And, and 
similar to what you just beautifully reflected in your sharing too, is like the positive side of poly potentially if someone is, you know, really mature and on a fast track of their growth and evolution and, and has a huge capacity, connecting with multiple partners can be quite illuminating and, and imagine like really catalytic in their systems. And it comes with a lot of responsibility, like the ability to really respond to what arises in you and digest and move and integrate and dance. And, and um, that's hence why a lot of spiritual traditions try to slow sexuality down or, or rein it in and not let it get so wild because sexuality is such a potent force and it can, and you can kind of be taken by it by like the lower chakra realms and like not have a lot of heart in it. You can have a lot of sexuality without a lot, a lot of heart, not a lot of consciousness, not a lot of like deep devotional love. And we already live in a culture which is very interesting where like we, um, as men, a lot of us, like we love our moms. And so we, we've, you know, we, will, we will choose wives on partners that we have a huge heart connection with, but maybe not a lot of sexual connection with. And there can be a disruption between like, I want my sexual energy to be in the shadow realms with like porn and really hot, sexy things, but not a woman that I would like love and have children with. And there's this weird separation that's happened a lot in Western culture because of porn and because of this like disruption of the sexual and heart energy not being fully connected in many men, not across the board. Many men have them integrated, but a lot of people like there's a heart block and I'm one included where that's been an edge for me to, to, to integrate both my like my full sexual fire and prowess and wanting to just like penetrate and, and be really rod and the dance of the heart and bring out to have them both together so that it's not one or the other. And a lot of us, we have it wired where it's one or the other. We either love somebody and really care about them in our heart, or we have a lot of sexual infatuation stuff where we can act out kind of like different stuff and not integrate both into somebody where both there's realms for both, both there's room for both of them in our dance. And to me, that's where like, if you have both of those in your dance with a partner and you're transcending your like disgust of the other, like where you start to like not have attraction and there's resistance and you're burning through that and having sex anyway, like that's Tantra. It's like I'm going beyond like where I used to be really attracted to beauty, but my, my, my wife's body's changed or their breath and all these things. Like true love is like I'm going beyond that and I'm, I'm, I'm opening to sexual realms anyway even if I'm not turned on. I'm the source of my turn on because of the energy that moves through me rather than needing something to be all pretty pictured over here to turn me on. That's not healthy. Like we want both, but ultimately long-term relationship asks us to keep turning ourselves on and being able to bring that in the dance as a relationship loses its like magnetism, sexual fire, and we have to keep growing it. It becomes alchemy instead of chemistry. And that's the evolution we go into in long relationship is at some point we will not be attracted to each other in the same way we were. And it takes a little bit more energetic alignment to bring that and keep going deeper with intimacy that opens sexuality rather than sexuality opening intimacy. Mm, bro. Woo. There are some nuggets in there. Holy cow. Wow. Alchemy instead of chemistry. That's a big one. Huge. Yeah, that's huge. And you are here to tell us that it's possible, you know, that it's possible to have Fully. both. So It's necessary. 
it's necessary. Mm. Like, like it's not even, it's, it's essential that like a man or woman has to start to go through their layers of disgust of the other, resistance to the other, and, and meet on deep levels because the love and choice and commitment to each other like allows us to go to, that's when new realms open of intimacy and we, we deepen love in a way. Because there were all, whenever you're with somebody for a long time, you know them so well that you start to have things that turn you off or put you off or you start to have experiences where what you did to try to arouse the other doesn't work anymore. And then you, you're asked to evolve your ability to like clear what that is and find new ways to touch and dance and stimulate and, and allow yourself to meet arousal without so much outside stimulus that like your system opens to arousal that doesn't require the other to arouse you. That's one of the toxic parts of our sexuality in our world here and why porn is such a problem is that we, the sight, the, the sounds, the like, the woman who's like turned on, who's a real estate agent who wants to have sex with the guy that she's showing her house to, like is not a common thing. And again, get men develop this fantasy that there's this secretary or boss or woman who wants them and just can't wait for them to finally like take them and, and dive into them, you know? That might happen in little heatful moments in people's lives and why it's sort of, but really the work is in how do we keep generating shared sexual energy and depth and opening with a partner in these realms where, where it's not easy anymore and, mm -hmm. and we have to choose it. And it's kind of like, how do I go to the gym when I don't feel healthy and vital? What motivates me to go there? But I always feel better when I leave it, you know? But there's a lot much, so much more under the surface there because there's a pattern which, you know, which we can see... Uh, the, the net that is basically behind the structure of our whole society currently because that instant gratification that you know that comfort you know the, and that expansion of the comfort zone until you know it floods our system until every little compartment is filled with comfort you know where's the resistance where is the you know that's why with the men's work you know we we, we go to that edge but you know when we transfer that to relationships Where's that, where's, that, where's that resistance and where can we yeah, just go to the edge of that and meet it there like you so beautifully pointed out. And I feel like, yeah, that is, that is the medicine. That's the medicine. That's so much the medicine. Uh, and we connected it back to the ancestor. We connected it back to, to the trauma of previous generations. So this is deep work. So there's potential for mm. healing mm. Um, if, we, if we have the courage and the response Sibility, um to do so beautiful mm. oh man so beautiful um and looking at looking at the time i'm i'm you know we haven't even barely touched men's work and i'm like wow you know <laughs> that's that's already wow that's beautiful um so to close off the container i have a, one two questions that um that I bring up and I'm so, I'm so curious on hearing your, hearing your energy and your, your answer to them. Um, Brother Shems, what are you proud of? One of the things I'm really proud of in my life was, um, we didn't go into this so much, but I was in a 12 year journey with my first wife. That was a really beautiful journey. We got together 
when I was 24 and, and we went through a lot of life together and a lot of growth and a lot of healing and we did all the journey work with the Hendrix world and a lot of this realm of learning relational stuff together and then we had a wildfire burn our house down and we lost our house in Santa Barbara and it catalyzed a bunch of change and then both our dogs died of, of old age. They were both 15 within, within a six months of our house burning down. And there was like, we, like life just had some deaths. Like our house burning was a form of death, like a death of a life we had been living. And then our dogs died. And then she met another man. And speaking of open relationship and those things like that, you know, um, in the process of our house burning down and all that, like I just, at that time, I just didn't have a lot of sexual fire with her. And, and there was a lot happening. There was a lot of stress for us, like around like the finances and insurance and trying to build a house and going through this process. And so she was dancing, she's a professional dancer, and she was dancing with this man, and they had so much juicy energy. I was like, you know what? Check it out, babe. We had enough totally solid bank account between us that like I wasn't worried about interrupting our relationship. And 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 yet it did. It did. Like there was some heat there, and, and her and, and him had this dance. She didn't want to lead me for him. She wanted me to be able to bring to her what started happening in their dance together, the level fire that was there, the newness, the the particular essence he brought to her had like a different quality of masculine than I had brought to her, especially since I met her when we, were tw- we got together when we were 24, you know, it was a different mm. time in my life. And, and so she had that dance with him and then her and I went back and like, okay, can we find that? Can we have that, you know? And, and, and it came down to like, you know what? We can't, we're more brother and sister. We're, this is the completion of actually an aspect of our phenomenal journey together, like a completion of our marriage and our journey and we lovingly unwove our marriage over the process of a year and, and let go. And, and that's how I moved to Maui and began a new life. And she stayed in Santa Barbara at the property, at the house we rebuilt after the fire. And I walked away from that life, which was really good for me. There were a lot of ways that in that time, because of our life and because of who she was, that there was a certain way that I wasn't in my full power in that relationship because she had some financial resources and, um, and like there was a way I just wasn't fully... Um, living my full empowered truth as a man around generating money, around doing my work. It's not that I was resisting or avoiding. I had an acupuncture clinic. I was working, but I wasn't really doing what I do now. I wasn't, do, I wasn't leading men's work. I was doing a bunch of men's work. I was doing boys to men. I was participating. It wasn't that I was like this little boy hiding out, but there was a way I was uninitiated in a certain way and letting go of that marriage. Like I had to stand on my own two feet in a whole new way in my 30s, you know, like, begin a new life here, which I did on Maui. And she, so we lovingly are still family. We talk regularly. We love each other. She ended up marrying that man. And him and I have gone through this journey of like, he leads men's work too. And we've had our friction and our stuff. Like one time he brought me to a a my men's circle, like the brothers I had circled with for many years on that property and told me I had to get everything off that property. And not a trace of me could be there anymore for them to begin their next journey. And the amount of heat and rage and like the part of me that could rip his throat out. Like I felt a rage in me that was like, and to be able to have a men's circle hold that for me to breathe into that and meet that rage and have that and like look him in the eyes and like I had, did not have that towards him at all. Like through the journey, I was like, you know what? I was really unsustainable. But that, that boundary he needed to draw for him brought up so much for me. And then as I met him in that rage and they all held me back and I like was in that fire, like in full men's work, full energy, everybody holding me back, it broke and dropped into like super deep grief, super deep fear of like my new life, super deep loss of, I could cry now, like loss of 
this beautiful marriage and journey that was needed to die, needed to end. And this like profound relationship with someone I wholeheartedly love, the deeper let go that had to come with that. So me to step out and take all my things off that property and like completely complete there because I'm living in Hawaii. Like the like, and then him and I, the bond from that, him being able to meet that and him being able to feel my deepest grief and my pain and my let it go and my loss, you know, like I'm proud of that. I'm proud of like being able to walk from that and have him be a brother and, a, and, and to me like a friend I, re, I respect and a man that I could bless in his marriage with her and still love her and then begin a new life after that and, and have my wife and I come together who I met before my first wife. Like that I'm proud of in this journey. Like that was like all the work I had done to be at that place and have to face that deep stuff in the moment of loss, in the moment of hurt, in the moment of pain and be able to meet that. I'm proud of that. And I can still feel the tender place it touches, you know. I can still feel the letting go and loss of that marriage, even though I do it with such love and such knowing that it was right, you know, such knowing that it was the appropriate end and such knowing that it was because of that I could be in this one so fully, you know, that I could be with my wife now so fully and that like what's grown in me because of that journey to be able to like have the marriage I have now and be the man I am now in this marriage, like so related to that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate you deeply. I appreciate this container deeply. And I feel it's absolutely complete. And I'm moved and I'm deeply grateful to have reached out to you and how absolutely beautifully we have been guided um, by forces that are so far beyond what we can see with the eye and hear with the ear and, and feel you know it's it's just there and present so endless gratitude and it was a beautiful beautiful place that you you took us uh, with you now at the end so just wanted to acknowledge that and uh, and thank you sincerely yeah thank you Maxi I'm with you I'm grateful for the forces of life that bring us where we need to be and Help us grow in the way we need to grow. And thanks for reaching out. And I'm so honored to connect with you and meet you and know you. And thanks mm. for inviting me on to drop in with you in this way. And thanks for your presence and ability to connect and drop in and, and meet me and ask these questions and invite me into the shares. Hey, beautiful listener. You have made it all the way through. And I want to take a moment to say thank you. And 
you can do me an enormous favor. It's all I'm going to ever ask from you. And that is to go to your podcast app right now. And if you enjoyed the episode, give the podcast a five-star rating. If you want to write one, two words or sentences, even more powerful, even better. Um, thank you Yeah, already in advance. And also while you're at it, just click on that follow button on that bell notification so that you never miss a new episode. All of that just contributes and it helps me to increase the reach of the podcast. That means I can attract bigger guests and that means I can deliver more powerful episodes. So it's a tiny thing. I'm only going to ask this little favor of you ever, not more, 10, 15 seconds of your time, a couple of clicks, that's it makes a huge difference for me as a creator. So thank you so much.